Chapter 18 of The Mystery of the Woods by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 As the word girl, clearly and strongly spoken, escaped the trapper's lips, the man in front of him visibly started, and Herbert discerned an inclination of his head, as if, voluntarily or involuntarily, he not only understood the desire of the trapper, but the object of his proceedings. The trapper, confident that he had at last made positive connection with the lingering, perhaps we should say, the reawakening intelligence of the singular creature, proceeded at once in the motions of his pantomime. The first fact he wished to ascertain, now that he knew the girl had been seen, was the time or date of their meeting. The old man knew that he could not have met the girl that day, and therefore he must count backwards in order to fix the time whether the feeble mind of the man would apprehend and be able to follow his voiceless speech he could not tell, but hoping that such a fortunate result might be reached, he addressed himself at once to the task. And first he lifted his hand and pointed with his finger directly at the sun. Then he traced the line of its course backward toward the east, and by a look and a motion of his hands, palm outward, toward the east fixed it there. Then he paused. Then over the earth, with groping motions of his hands and his eyes shut, he spread out the darkness. Opening his eyes, he went through the signs of a person trying to see in the dark. In the gloom above, with movements of his fingers, he traced the stars, and then with his voice he sounded the hoot of an owl as it booms from the pines amid the gloom of night. The cry of the loon, prolonged and finally drawn out as it comes through the evening damp, and other sounds familiar to the night-time in the dusk, sounds of the air, and sounds of the water, until Herbert marveled that so plain and unmistakable a description of the night season could be made by one standing on a beach with the noonday glare above him. The strange creature standing in front of him followed each motion of the pantomime with vigilant eye, and when the voice sounding the night calls of nature broke on his ear, it was evident to both of the men that were watching him that the picturesque and vivid description had accomplished its purpose, and that the man well knew that the trapper had measured the portion of the day in whose light they were standing, and the night back of it. Confident of this, the trapper paused again, and again said in the same clear, strong, and condensed tone, Girl! But the face of the strange being remained steadfast in its expression and it was evident to the trapper that, if he ever gave a sign, it would only be when he had measured to the date when he and the lost one had met. Without pausing an instant, without intermitting the powerful magnetism of his gaze on the object in front of him, with freer motions and more vivid picturing, again did the trapper describe the coming of morning, and so wonderfully fine was his acting, and so accurate was his knowledge of nature and its gleam, the morning breeze to rise, and the waves, urged by them, to break on the beach, and then to complete the perfect presentation of the morning time, out of the mouth of the trapper came the call of all morning birds. The owl, grumbling, hid himself in the uppermost boughs of the pine. Down the same tree ran the squirrel, chattering, and so perfect was the imitation that, as the air broke into noisy fragments, Herbert could scarcely believe that above his head the little sprightly creature was not actually perched, calling noisily to his mate through the grove. The deer came down, fed, drank, and retired. The fawns capered over the sands and disappeared in the bush. 
At the mouth of the inlet, the trout jumped and splashed. The lilies began to close, and their white flowers hid themselves within their green lobes. Never was a truer picture of morning sketched, never the coming of the day, with all its splendor and its sounds of waking life more truly delineated. Again the trapper paused, and again the same word, clearly and strongly pronounced as before, with a strong interrogation in the tone. And as to reward the trapper for the splendid effort he was making, to stir the sluggish mind in front of him with a thrill of anxious consciousness, and to make whatever thread or filament of intelligence there yet remained responsive to his touch, no sooner had the word been pronounced the third time than the strange creature, dressed in a panther's skin in front of him, slowly but decidedly shook his head. "'God be praised!' exclaimed the trapper, as he half-turned to Herbert. "'The fool begins to think. Whether she be living or dead is not certain. But if nothing happens, and the Lord helps the creature a little, we'll certainly fix the hour when he seed her.' Again he swept his hand into the air and called down the darkness over the earth. Again the stars came forth and the sounds of night echoed over the waters. And again, when he paused and repeated the word with more positive movement of his voice, again did the man who was following him give the negative motion of his head. By this time the tension was so great, and the excitement of the scene had so communicated itself to Herbert, that the sweat actually stood in drops on his face. And when the head shook again, a sound like a groan escaped him. "'Never mind, boy, never mind.' said the trapper as he again lifted himself to a lofty pose, while not a change came to the muscles of his own splendid face, lighted as it was with the effort of mind he was making. Never mind, boy, the trail leads back further than I thought, but we'll find the girl, and the Lord with her too at the end of it. Again the motions followed, now easy, now swift, the voice accompanying the motion, and the morning by the pantomime again broke over the world, but not as it breaks when the sun rises with unclouded brightness. For the trapper, even in the act of describing it, recalled that the second morning back had come into the wood with fog on the waters and clouds overhead. And as the trapper continued his description, the woods dripped with dampness. The fogs rolled heavily down the lake. The fleece of the vapor clung to the treetops and the shores. And when the sun came through... It came strugglingly, with flashes and lanes of light that came and disappeared, shone and were swallowed up, until at last the potent orb, mighty in splendor, triumphed. And with the sun standing above the crust of eastern mountains, day flashed into splendor, and the tardy morning flushed and kindled with unimpeded brilliance. This time the trapper himself was astounded for before he had had time to repeat the magic word with which he had first enchained the attention of the object he was addressing, the strange creature clapped his hands together, and with motions of affirmation which shook him from head to foot as he bowed in his excited eagerness, said the first word he had doubtless spoken for years in human speech. Girl! Glory to God! exclaimed the trapper. The fool has his gifts, Henry, and the purpose of the Lord will yet be served. "'Dead or living?' said Henry, with a face tight in every muscle and actually whitening under the strain of the exciting scene and its climax. The trapper made no reply save that which lay in his acting. With motion slow and solemn as motion might be, and with a face whose every feature was settled with grief, he sketched a buyer, 
sketched it so vividly that had it been in actual preparation for the solemn reception of the stiffened form, it could not have been more impressive. And when the buyer had been made at his feet, he turned and walked a few paces aside and, stooping, lifted a body and brought it to the imaginary buyer and laid it thereon and straightened its proportions as one might straighten the form of a woman and not of a man. For the dress was arranged even to the feet and the hair tenderly lifted from the shoulder and from the bosom where it had been wandering and smooth as tenderly back from the face and off the brow as if grief solicitous in the discharge of the solemn proprieties was bending over a beloved form and when all was done and herbert and the man could almost see the buyer and the girl straightened in death lying on it the trapper rose from his knees and looked at the man in front of him no words could put such an interrogation as the eyes and the features of the trapper put to the man clothed in panther skins as he straightened himself above that imaginary buyer slowly with something like a startled look in his own eyes with a slight knitting of the brow the strange creature shook his head herbert unconsciously perhaps as the last scene was being enacted in the pantomime had drawn nigher to the trapper and was now standing within arm's reach of him as the man slowly shook his head the trapper turned towards herbert and the eyes of the old man and the young man met the trapper slowly stretched forth his hand the hand of herbert as deliberately met it and the two with steady faces but with eyes not ashamed to confess their solemn gladness stood for a minute holding each other's hand three mornings before the girl had been seen and alive for a moment the two men thus stood then they released their hands and the trapper said the council be over henry and the time for acting be come the girl is off here to the southeast for that be the direction that he pointed out and i don't concede it be fur do you know the woods to the southeast john norton interrupted herbert know the woods to the southeast exclaimed the trapper there be no point in the woods from the Horicon to the St. Lawrence, or from the Mohawk to the Canada line that I don't know, boy. I not only know the woods, but I know the waters, for I certainly doubt there be a stream big enough for a mink to fish on, or a pond that would hold a beaver or a muskrat, for that matter, that I haven't left the markings of my traps on. For the fur has been scarce for the last ten year, and the trappers be many and a man who would live by his trappin' couldn't keep in his cabin. "'Where do you think the girl is?' asked Herbert. "'It was three mornings ago that the fool seed her, that's certain. "'Now there's no signs that he has a boat on the waters, "'or would get into one if he had it. "'And while his legs be goodens, "'I don't doubt he could give her a goodly distance "'between sun and sun if he put reason into his legs. "'Yet it's not likely that his legs had any reason in them and therefore I concede that his walkin' would be a good deal like a moose in his feedin', when the feedin' be scarce this way and that, and a good deal to other. And it don't stand to reason, seein' as how he has little sense, that he would strike a bee-line for anywhere, for it takes a man a good judgment to walk straight. Leastwise I've noted that few men could do it in the woods. You think, then, said Henry, interrupting again, that the girl is here to the southeast, and not many miles away? "'That's exactly, Henry,' returned the trapper. "'She's off here to the southeast for certain, "'for the fool don't know enough to lie. "'And in that he's favored beyond some. 
I certainly doubt, Henry, said the trapper emphatically, if the girl be a dozen miles from this beach. With nothing but the direction to guide you, have you any idea you can find her, John Norton? Certainly, said the trapper. Certainly we can find her. The direction is everything in striking a trail, Henry. For if that be right and nothing happens, and you keep going, you'll hit it sure as judgment, leastwise if her eyes be good. And when you've hit the trail of the girl, you've found the girl. I don't understand that, John Norton, responded Herbert. She may have gone a great distance since the man in the panther skin saw her. Careful, boy, careful, said the trapper. You're losing your judgment and your earnestness. I dare say she's kept moving a good deal, for it ain't in human nature to sit down in the woods in one spot, especially if you be alone. A lost man is an uneasy man, and he keeps going till his legs give out or his heart, and the legs hold out longer than the heart, as I have observed. You see, Henry, a girl be lost. She be alone in the woods. The vagabonds have left her alone to die. The power of man be again her and the power of God be shown through the power of man. And she be worried, no doubt, and she be wandering like a little fawn that has lost its mother. I've seen him, Henry, and a pitiful sight it is, too, boy, to see the little innocent things go creeping and crawling through the bush and bleating and calling until they be too feeble to go further. And they sort of tumble down in a little heap to die. Ah, uh, me... Many be the little spotted things I found wandering so, and I've had em come up. Yes, Henry, I've actually had em come up to my very side, and had em take my finger in their little mouths and their hunger, and I carried em home in my arms, and fed em and laughed till the tears came to see em caper around the cabin. And the pups, Lord Henry, the pups know the difference between a little fawn and an old buck. Sport, you know. "'Sport be a frisky dog, land a massy. "'You ought to see him play with him. "'And Rover, Rover, you know, Henry, "'be an arnest sort of dog. "'He'd lie on the hearth and sort of look him out of his eyes, "'pretending to be half asleep. "'Ah, <laughs> me, how many be the haps of nature? "'And the lone ones that be lost need comforting. "'And the Lord forgets at times, "'or else his creatures forget that ought to be more mindful.' So you think, answered Henry, that the girl has been walking in circles, as it were? That's it. That's it exactly, boy, responded the trapper. You see, she couldn't walk any other way, being lost and ignorant of the wood. And where the man and the skins here see her, we shall see her, leastwise nigh here. Have you any idea where he saw her, John Norton? That's it, Henry. I've been thinking about that. You see, there's a lake over here to the southeast, and a lonely lake it be, too. And I doubt if many trappers have ever sought a trap on it. The half-breed knowed it, for I had a scrimmage with him once on the north shore of it, for he put a bullet through the back of my shanty one night that went through just about where my head ought to be. But I'd smothered my fire in a little too much punk that night, and the wind shifted out of it turned in and the shanty was a good deal like a Dutch woman's oven when the wind is northeast and the chimney isn't more than half open. And the smoke sort of drove me out. Leastwise, it had skewed me around so that I laid just crosswise of the way I should have laid if the fire had acted naturally. The smoke saved me, Henry. Leastwise, that's the way me and the pups understood it. But I turned out, 
and sort of got even with him afore morning. For the next time he fired, which the vagabond did, conceding he would make double sure I was lying in behind a spruce log, I opened on him by the blaze of his piece, and then I give him the other barrel by the sound of his running as he went towards the beach. And there was a good trail of blood on the leaves next morning. I heard the next spring that he laid two weeks in a hunter's cabin on the headwaters of the Hudson, and was a good deal interested in splints and yarbs while he stayed there. And you think, interrupted Henry, that the girl is on that lake? The signs point in that direction, Henry, and I put it to you if they don't. Well, they certainly do, John Norton, replied the young man, and it don't seem to me that we should lose any time getting off. What shall we do with the man in the skin here? Shall we take him along with us? Could he help us any? I don't concede he would, Henry, answered the trapper after a moment's consideration. You see, you can't depend on him for anything but jumping and scratching and, and then be gifts that are of no account on a trail. You see, the creature is consorted with the panthers until he's forgot himself and conceits he is a panther himself. And if you fell into any of their habits and begun to cut up any of their capers on us, well, you see, Henry, I don't like the animals that he belongs to, and my piece goes a little too easy at the sight of fur to make it actually safe to have a hare in sight. Not that I would shoot a human being, boy, unless he was up to his devilments, but the way a man dresses makes a good deal of difference with the man, and the panther's skin is an unreasonable garment for a human being to put on, and I can see that he better be left to scratch and jump as his foolishness stirs him. He is a pitiful object to contemplate, replied Herbert, looking at the strange creature who still remained standing, gazing with eyes that roamed from one to the other of them. It seems dreadful to leave him here to the fate of this terrible delusion. Friend, said the trapper, addressing himself to the object of the conversation. Friend, we must be going, and I certainly doubt if you understand a word I'm saying, but I don't see as that should make any difference with the talking. For ye have did us a service, and it's proper that ye should be thanked for it. The trapper paused a moment, and carefully studied the countenance that was turned full upon him, and then he resumed. I've studied the signs of nature for years, and few be the changes that come to the earth or the sky or the water that my eye hasn't noted. And I've noted that there be a beginning to all changes, and dawn comes afore the morning, and the dusk afore the night. The water changes its color afore it rains, and the warm and the cold can be seen a day in advance in the shining of the stars. And unless my eye deceives me, there be changes coming to your face, friend, that mean something. The devil has certainly had you for years, and it may be that the devil may keep you yet for years to come. But it looks to me as if the Lord in his mercy was taking a hand on your side, and your wits might be coming to you. You certainly have served him well this time, whatever may be the tantrums ye have cut up in the past. And ye have earned help, if I'm any judge, and I don't concede that the Lord lets a man serve him and puts all the payment off for eternity. And if anything happens to you for the better, and ye do come to your wits and ye need a cabin and a table, just remember that old John Norton will take you in, skin or no skin. And now, Henry, let us be going. So saying, the trapper turned toward the boat, which, in his eagerness to be gone, his companion had already reached and launched, and was in the act of seating himself at the oars. 
When the trapper reached the stern of the frail craft and lifted the paddle preparatory to entering, an instant sufficed for the act, and he was settling himself to his seat, and the boat had already begun to move, when a low moan, human in his piteousness, checked the movements of the boatmen, and turned their eyes in the direction of the sound. End of chapter 18